from that. Then he also said to him who invited him, 
When you give a dinner or supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor your rich neighbors, lest they invite you back and then you be thus repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. And you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Verse 15. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then he told him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for now all things are ready. But they with all one accord began to make excuses. Say excuses. Say it louder. They began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought this piece of ground and I must go see to it. I ask you to have me excused. Say excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Say excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Guess what? He made a, an excuse. Verse 21. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to the servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, and the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is as you have commanded, and there is still room. Verse 23, then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Let us pray. Father, I pray this morning that we put an end to the excuses. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said. In his book entitled, A Gentle Thunder, author Max Licato says there was once a man who dared God, dared God to speak. He said, burn the bush like you did for Moses, God, and I will follow you. Collapse the walls like you did for Joshua, God, and I will fight. He said, still the waves like you did on the Sea of Galilee, God, and I'll listen to you. So the man sat by a bush near a wall close to the sea, and he waited for God to speak. God heard that man, and sure enough, God answered. God sent fire. Not for a bush, but fire for a church. God brought down a wall, not a wall of brick, but he brought down a wall of sin. God stilled the storm, not the storm on a, on a sea, but the storm inside his soul. And then God waited. 
He waited for the man to respond, and he waited and he waited, but because the man was looking for bushes, not hearts, because he was looking for bricks, not lies, because he was looking in the sea, not for souls, he decided that God hadn't done a cotton-picking thing. So finally the man looked up to God. He said, God, have you lost your power? God heard him. And God responded and said, have you lost your hearing? Do you hear God today? When you hear the scriptures talk about these fellows making excuses, do you hear God speaking today? Can I tell you that I've heard him all week talk to me about the excuses I make? Did you hear him when he said, that the master said to the servant in verse 23, go out into the highways and hedges, compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Did you hear him when he said that? See, that verse 23 has a whole lot to say to me and you this morning. It has a whole lot to say about our service to Jesus Christ, especially as we here at Bethel Baptist Church begin to move into what we call our growing season. Our growing season here at Bethel is a time when we come together on Tuesday nights to get out there and go beat the bushes. Amen? It's coming up. And verse 23 will help us to understand what it means for a believer to get out there and beat the bushes. So what I want to do is I want to just look at verse 23 there. And we're going to take that one verse and we're going to tear it apart. We're going to dissect that verse and put it into small phrases and prayerfully you and I both will understand what it teaches about us getting out there and beating those bushes. So let's look at the first part of verse 23. Then the master said to the servant. The master said to the servant. That little phrase describes our relationship and our role. To our master. You see, the idea of being a servant is just not very appealing to most folks. In fact, if you would imagine a group of our children gathered together, and you asked their children and you said, what is it you want to be when you grow up? What kind of things might you hear? Help me out. A doctor? What else? A teacher? What else? A what? A policeman? What else? An astronaut? What else? Come on, what do the kids say they want to be? Firefighter, what else? President, yeah, that's good. Say that again? Ah, that's right, professional athlete. Exactly right. How many times have you heard one say, I want to be a servant? Not once. Not once. You see, being a servant implies that that you're under somebody. Being a servant implies that you are used for someone else's purpose. Being a servant implies that you got to do what somebody else tells you to do. You and I are called to be servants. We're called to be servants of the Most High God. Therefore, we must Submit 
our position to his. You see, our role is that of being a servant to our master. Our purpose in life is to serve God and bring him glory. My favorite verse is Isaiah 43. God said, God said, everyone who is called by my name, you know who he's talking about? He's talking about all of us. Everyone who is called by my name, who I have created for my glory. That's why he made you. That's why he made you a Christian. That's why he chose you. How many of you know that you didn't choose him? He chose you. And he did so. He chose you for his glory. Yes, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Your purpose is to glorify God in everything you do. That means in order for you and I to achieve our purpose in life, we got to be willing to submit to God's call to serve him. Otherwise, you'll never fulfill your purpose in this life. I read about a church who performed this skit before their service. There was a girl named Jennifer, and her husband's name was Ryan. And Jennifer said to her husband, Ryan, I'm going to spend some time in prayer. Please do not disturb me. So she goes into the room and she kneels down in prayer and she says, Oh Lord, I am your servant. I want to do your will no matter what it is. And then you're never going to guess who poked his head in. Ryan pokes his head in and he says, Excuse me, dear, Miss Leela just called to ask if you would be a teaching assistant for Awana. And Jennifer says, Honey, you know I'm not very good with kids. It's just not my bag. It's just not my thing. Tell Miss Leela no. And so Jennifer goes back to praying and she says, Dear Jesus, you are wonderful and your mercy endures forever. I love you with all my heart and I would desire to serve you no matter what it is. And then you're never going to guess who poked his head in. Her husband, Ryan. And he said, Excuse me, dear. Miss Kathy just called, and she called to see if she can count on you for the Grow Outreach Ministry this year. You know, that's that ministry where the church just asks for nine hours a year. Jennifer says, would you tell Miss Kathy, you know, that Tuesdays just don't work too good for me, maybe next year. And so Jennifer goes back to praying. Heavenly Father, I thank you for saving my soul. I thank you for granting me salvation. I am so grateful for it. Lord, I want to do some great thing to pay you back. What would you have me to do? Whatever it is, I'll do it. And you're never going to guess who poked his head back in. Ryan says, honey, excuse me. But Brother Courtney's on the phone, and he just wanted to know how Sunday school was going for you. And Jennifer says, I know I haven't been very faithful to Sunday school lately. Just tell Brother Courtney that it's awful hard to get up on Sunday mornings to make Sunday school. And then Jennifer goes back to prayer. Lord, I don't understand. I don't understand why you don't reveal to me what it is you want me to do. I read a quote by Alan Redpath that said, God will not reveal his will for you tomorrow until you obey it for today. Don't expect God 
to reveal some, something special for you for tomorrow until you've begun to obey him in what he's already told you for today. So many times we beg, we plead, we ask God, Lord, use me. Use me for your glory. Use me to bring you honor. Use me somehow, some way. But then when the opportunities come up, we don't do what the master told us to do. What did it say? The master said to the servant, are you obeying your master? Look at the next section, the second phrase. Because the master said to his servant, that is showing us our role and our responsibility to the king. What did he say? Go out. Go out. Now that phrase describes our function. That describes what we are to do. You see, most churches get it flip-flopped. They get it reversed. Most churches think it's all about bringing people into the church. But that's a mistake. That's not what going out is about. That's not what evangelism is about. It's not just about bringing people to church. That's not the function of the master's servant. No, Jesus commanded us as his servant to go and bring people to the master. Go and introduce people to the master. That's what our function is. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go, go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mark tells us, Go out into all the world and preach that good news to every creature. Mark, Jesus even told his disciples in Mark 1.38, Let us go. Go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I came forth. That was the purpose Jesus came, to preach that gospel good news. So, Brother Bill, are you telling me I ought not invite people to church? I think you know better than that, don't you? Are we to invite people to church? Well, of course. Are we to invite people to church events? Absolutely, no doubt about it. But we ought to view these opportunities really as tools. This is not the end result. Getting people in a pew is not the end result. The end result is to introduce them to the master. To go out. Bring them in. Not for the purpose of being here, but the purpose of meeting the master. And becoming one of his servants. The master says to his servants, your ultimate responsibility is to go and share that good news. Let's look at that third phrase. The master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges. Hedges are a bush, amen? Get out there and beat the bush, amen? The highways and hedges. The master said to the servant, that's our role and our responsibility. Go out. That's our function. But the highways and hedges, now that's our focus. That's our focus. You and I are to go into the most unlikely places. We are to go to the most unlikely people. Can I tell you, let's see, which way is north? That way. Thank you. There is a very unlikely place just north of us. A very unlikely place where we might go and introduce someone to the master. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Hmm? Huh? You've been there, so I don't want to hear it. 
You asked for that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go to the most unlikely places. Talk to the most unlikely people. Do you know that Jesus reached out to the most unlikely people? Think about this. He reached out to those hated Samaritans. He reached out to the tax collectors of all people. He reached out to the adulterers, to the prostitutes, to the demon-possessed. He reached out to those that society rejects. That's exactly who we ought to be reaching out to. I believe that's a beautiful picture. A beautiful picture of what Bethel Baptist Church ought to be. A beautiful picture of what Bethel Baptist can be, what it should be, and praise God what I say will be. Filled with the most unlikely people. You see, if you knew Bill Barlow back about 15, 20 years ago, <laughs> you'd say, now that's one unlikely person I'd ever see in the church. But I praise God that there was somebody who listened to his master, who went outside the church, beat the highways and hedges and come found me. Highways and hedges. I read a story by Philip Yancey who wrote about a very rich woman and her fiancé. And they had gone to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston to plan their wedding banquet. They looked over the very expensive menu. They ordered their china. They ordered their silver. They chose their flower arrangements. And the bill came to a whopping $13,000 for their wedding banquet. They had to leave a check for half that amount as a down payment, and then they went home to uh, send off their wedding announcements. And the day that the announcements hit the mailbox, the groom got cold feet. He said, I'm just not sure, you know. I mean, it's a big commitment. Why don't we just take a little bit longer to mull over this decision? It wasn't very much longer when that bridegroom dumped his fiance. Then the angry fiance returned back to the Hyatt Hotel downtown Boston to cancel that banquet, and the offense manager was so understanding. She said, you know, the same thing happened to me, honey. But about that refund, I got some bad news. That contract is binding, and you're only entitled to $1,300 back. So the way I see it, you have two options. You can forfeit the rest of the down payment, which was $5,200, or you can go ahead with the banquet. I'm so sorry. I really am. Seemed kind of crazy, but the more the, this jilted bride thought about it, the more she said, you know, I'm just going to go ahead with this party. Not a wedding banquet, mind you, but just a big blowout, a big party. You see, 10 years before that, this same woman had been living in a homeless shelter. She'd gotten back on her feet, got a good job, and put a sizable nest egg together. And now she had this wild notion of spending all of her savings to treat the down and outs of downtown Boston with a wonderful night out on the town. So it was in June of 1990 at the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston that it hosted a party the likes had never been seen before. The hostess changed the menu to boneless chicken in honor of the groom. Amen. 
And then she sent out invitations to all the rescue missions. She sent out invitations to all the homeless shelters. And that warm summer night, people who were used to peeling half-mud pizzas off their cardboard dined instead on chicken cordon bleu. The Hyatt waiters were dressed in tuxedos and they were serving hors d'oeuvres to senior citizens who were propped up on crutches and aluminum walkers. There were bag ladies and alcoholics, vagrants and prostitutes and drug addicts who took just one night off of the hard life on the streets and instead ate chocolate wedding cake. And they danced to the big band all night long. Can you get a picture of that? If you can get a picture of that, that's a wonderful image of what the kingdom of God is going to look like. 